Welcome to the Plain Sight podcast hosted by Invisible. Invisible Technologies is a fascinating company. Uh, we essentially make complex business problems disappear. So we partner with you, we figure out what your operations are, we figure out what your processes are, we figure out what your team doesn't like to do, and we basically do that better, faster, cheaper. Uh, but this isn't specifically about what we do, it's also the philosophy behind why we do it. So this show really gets into what makes Invisible tick. Uh, who are the key players at Invisible? Who are the key players outside of Invisible who enjoy our work? Um, what are all the things that are going on inside of Invisible? What a podcast does, it allows you to find out things that you normally wouldn't be able to find out. So it's like a fireside chat that's basically decentralized and anybody can listen to it at all times. So we really invite you to uh, listen and subscribe if you really like these episodes. And as always, you can reach out to anybody on the Invisible team. Uh, our website is invisible.co uh, and we're happy to have you here. Welcome to the Plain Sight Podcast. I've got Sam Shu here. He is a partner and vice president of training, learning, and development at Invisible Technologies. Technologies. Uh, he specializes in product operations and system solutions, helping lead organizations to scale, their people to grow, and relationships to thrive. So welcome to the show, Sam. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So what is the essential element of training a team of contrarians to all do work, do good work together? <laughs> I love that initial question. It's, it's kind of like corralling cats, um, but in a very organized way. And what I mean by that is like um, training and development uh, for anyone is, uh, has many, many different uh, edges that aren't quite defined, right? And so I think, um, then layering on contrarian thinking and people who are really interested in uh, pushing the boundaries and, and being able to <laughs> identify uh, new ways to do something, you, you're kind of trying to like structure that thinking slightly so that it's productive, but at the same time, allowing there to be kind of an endless bound, if you will, like a dotted line on, on, a, on a hexagon to like move move in some uh way that might actually draw that energy or draw that um th those those contrarian thoughts in a productive way um whereas like maybe there's other bounds across the, the other uh the, the rest of that hexagon that, that are, are fairly solid and that they we don't want to go for, further outside of those areas and so you know it's been a really fun and interesting challenge because as um normal training and development conventions aren't necessarily um, what you want to uh, implement in, a, in an environment like this and a culture like this. And, um, you know, I, it's, you know, my, we can go into my background, I think a little bit later, but I think the, one of the bigger things um, that I've seen is that um, we don't necessarily want to be confined to one way of learning. We want to be able to have different options, different layers, different methods to learn, and then be able to be open-minded enough to receive. And I think if you put yourself in the, in the shoes of the person who is absorbing or learning something and allow yourself to not be in just one type of shoe, but multiple different shoes, you're able to kind of empathize in terms of how you deliver and, uh, and offer up. Uh, solutions for for training and development. Mm. 
And so you had talked about how the normal methods might not apply at Invisible. What are those normal methods uh, at, a, at another company, either at a startup or a large, large organization? Yeah, let's start with like kind of a larger organization. I've, I've been in a 30,000 person company um, where I felt like my, um, my contribution was very small and insignificant uh, in the grand scheme of things. I've also been in a two-person company in which, you know, my everything, every single thing I did was, was huge and was actually beneficial to the, where that needle was going, like moving the needle. And at that kind of larger scale company where you have 30,000 people plus or whatever, um, training looks very different. It's more or less have they uh, invested into more of a global swath of, of what they would call kind of development, learning and development, where they might put out kind of very, uh, a very broad spectrum of content and development things that may or may not land on anything uh, effective or productive. And therefore, they're kind of just cast, casting this wide net. Um, and seeing what what kind of lands for people. And I think the problems with that is that it more or less is just a money suck because it's you're you're kind of divesting a whole bunch of you know important capital into something that is deemed as something that could be a retention uh, play or mm-hmm. uh, or employee satisfaction. Um, but the fact of the matter is, and AI is even taking this even further, content is at your fingertips. Like it's never been done before. Like it's, you know, 15, 20 years ago, like Craigslist was the hot website, you know? <laughs> and now like, or like, you know, Wikipedia was just emerging in these various different forms, but like, and Google was, you know, also in its infancy, you know, way back in the 2000s. So it's, Content is at your fingertips at any point. You could go on to, to YouTube, you can get whatever you want, and it can be very pointed in terms of like what content you want for any specific um, uh, topic. Then you now start adding in AI and like the, the advancements that's happened over the last couple of years with that and, and chat GPT or any other um, generative AI, you can ask a question in the form of text and all of a sudden there's your there's your response and i imagine that'll that'll evolve to also curating and providing you know uh, more training and visual effects that can essentially uh, provide you more of a comprehensive experience around that question and i think that because of all those things that big large company that's kind of putting out this like uh employee satisfaction play of like a whole bunch of just off the shelf content, it's just missing the mark. It's just purely almost like someone's closing the eyes and just throwing out this stuff and say, seeing what sticks. And no one's going around and, and like even checking in on like, hey, how did that particular training land for you? Um, and so like, what what's happened concurrently though in, in large companies to their credit is they have to centralize. So they're sent- they they might throw out that cat that casting like wide net of of content or development opportunities, but then like centralizing within their teams or different um, departments, 
people are able to um, people are able to essentially uh, get more pointed, mostly live training um, to specific topics, um, and that's fine. But then there's not really the mechanism to then uh, turn that into evergreen content and then allow for other people to benefit from it. So there's this disconnect then from being able to leverage the value of this more pointed, uh, more narrowed approach to, uh, content and training um, to be able to be effective for more people. So then the other side of that question is, is how is it um, reflected now in, in startups? And it's kind of the wild, wild west <laughs> in startups, mm -hmm. to be honest. Uh, startups are trying to figure everything out, right? All at once. And my background is, you know, I, I went from that corporate company into a small niche company, turned into an entrepreneur, went across both um, business coaching as well as into real estate, as well as into, uh, uh, I, I owned a gourmet donut shop, a shop at one point. So that was fun. Um, okay. So there's been a, there's been a um, kind of a swath of different experiences, but a lot of those being in smaller, um, smaller organizations and teams. And then I've also been in uh, tech startups along the way as well. And um, as part of that, um, again, most startups, depending, you know, how small you are, or even like you can consider, um, you know, a company that's under 100, you know, 50 to 100 people, still a startup uh, kind of thing that the numbers at which you have to basically move are less. It's not 30,000 people anymore, but it's now how effective, like everything has to be that much more effective in terms of the uh, training and development that's offered to them. Um, it's no longer just uh, task a wide net because there are no funds to do that. There's no capital to, to, to do that. And therefore it's, it's, usually more on the lean side of things in terms of like what's offered and it's more in the networking space. So and in, in more, so what you'll see a lot with, um, uh, with startups is, um, companies are, are very connected, uh, in our particular company, um, you know, Francis is very connected. And so therefore one of the ways of developing people are by, by, uh, bringing those, uh, uh, those that network closer to you so that you can form around their thought and ideologies. Um, and I think that's a really brilliant way to do that in an efficient way um, as a small company and kind of more of a startup environment. Mm. It's super interesting. And this whole time I've been thinking there, like at a startup uh, and also at a larger company, because there's, you mentioned all the stuff online, like there's just tons and tons of stuff you can find online to figure learn how to you know build a machine learning algorithm or uh do coaching or all you know all these specific things that are just are out there for anybody to consume if they have the will uh but then at a startup it seems like the training may be more specific to the what the company is actually doing and it feels like you have very good perspective on this for ai training and ai enablement uh but how how does training play a role in teaching people who work at a company, how to do the things that the company is really good at. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the, the most important thing about training is making sure you understand your audience. Like that's foundational. 
if you miss the mark in terms of who your audience is, like if <laughs> it's much different to uh, be training masses amount of people who may not have be as educated potentially um, versus a C-level suite, right? Those are two very opposing audiences. Um, and so understanding your audience is key. It's paramount. Um, but I think that um, further further taking that uh, one, one level uh, further, I think it is tra training has to um, be actionable. I always say that like, you know, people say knowledge is power. Well, I've always kind of switched that up and says, uh, and said like um, taking action on knowledge is power. Mm. Um, again, we have every piece of content or information at our fingertips. Never before have we needed to like consume as much knowledge because we have it at our fingertips when we need it. Um, it's it's this thing, you know, I have a Lean Six Sigma certification and background in process improvement. And one of the things in that is just-in-time um, manufacturing is where mm. lean, lean manufacturing came from was this idea of um, producing a just-in-time um, just components and, and, and just-in-time uh, like end products like a car. And therefore, it reduced the, uh, the amount of inventory a company would have because they don't have to hold on to that much more. But you can think about that as, as it relates to knowledge as well, right? Like instead of holding as much inventory in terms of your knowledge or what you've consumed mm. or what you've learned or anything, you can just get the just-in-time gratification of just going on to Google or going or, or asking an AI uh, bot. So I think it's just going to get more. And then, and then you start to like project that out even into your real, real time, real space of um, augmented reality and the different lenses that are coming out. Like, um, it's you're going to be walking down the street and you have the just in time information about this particular pub that, that, that you walk by or that this store that you go into and the person, you know, all of these various different things. And it's going to be, I mean, some people are not going to love it, but it's literally getting more and more and more focused as to when that information arises. So what I'm saying all of that as background is like all of that is context into like how manufacturing has con continually converged and then became more efficient as part of that process. Knowledge is doing the same thing and training and learning is doing the same thing. It's converging into a way in which it is readily available and it can be applied so let's talk about that like the the application of training the reason why that uh big cast of wide net uh training in a big corporation is not as effective is because like hey here's 150 different courses you can take um well cool i mean i probably could learn all these things if i just wanted to and just went into youtube or or anywhere um but it doesn't track back to anything that I do as, as in my job. And so where you crack the nut with this is um, a lot of what we're doing right now at Invisible. Um, but we're looking at ways to identify what that core process or what that core mm -hmm. piece of work that we're doing um, is, identifies a certain level of general skills that can take someone um, to the 60 to 80% of understanding what that general sphere of work downstream might be. And then you just tap on the last little, you know, 20 to 30% of very niche specific training as it relates to that piece of work. 
And so you're capturing, and, and, and of course, in the ideal sense mm -hmm. there, you're kind of trying to up that percentage of general skills as, as much as you, as high as you can get to any, for any process, right? The idea would be that, hey, you've already done all this training. Great. Let me just show you how to actually apply it to this use case. And if you can get to that, it becomes where you not only are exhibiting this just-in-time uh, focus, converged energy of training, but you're doing it in an extraordinarily leveraged and efficient way by focusing on those general skills, which essentially works yourself down into this like funnel of implementation. And again, going back to implementation slash action of knowledge is power and not just knowledge is power uh, anymore. And that's, that's where it starts to like connect. That is so cool. That's very exciting. I, I didn't realize that that's what you're doing is that you're building out a 60% general skills, a whole bunch of content around those general skills that are applicable to a whole bunch of different places, whether that's data transformation or, um, you know, uh, making a lead funnel better or AI training. And one of the coolest things that I've seen you, you guys have been doing over the past few months is that, uh, you know, Invisible is a sort of core premier AI trainer. It's growing. Uh, and as we've been growing, you've taken this sort of ad hoc, all this knowledge inside of people's heads who did the first round. And then you, you guys have made that explicit, created content on it and allowed us to do a whole bunch of, serve a whole bunch of different clients in this space. Um, can you talk about more about what that looked like over the last six months? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny, right? Like, uh, what is, what is AI and ML? It's a, it's a neural network. And so trying to chase a neural network, you, you asked the first question being, how do you, how do you train a, a team of contrarian leaders? Right. Um, <laughs> take that to a, a AI ML environment. Right. Um, What's interesting about this is that you have to you have to define a specific uh, framework related to it. Um, you have to uh, take a stance somewhere because you have to. Otherwise, you're trying to chase a lot of different um, you know uh, different terminology or different uh, avenues of what's possible. And I think if you if you define that foundation. Um, of a framework of knowledge and our teams are doing that today and we have this great um, set of, of defi definable skills that are transferable across different pieces of work but in the same use cases if you will of, of um, different work and processes mm -hmm. you then are able to um, pick apart that right um AI training involves being really, really nuanced in how you actually comprehend text. Because um, you have to basically dis dissect a prompt and a response and be able to identify if there's anything within that um, that is factually inaccurate, for instance. So that would be maybe one of those particular terms in a framework that you have to define to then start to harness this idea of what's trainable, right? Because if you don't, then you have all of these random things that are around there and you don't, even if you're 10 or 15% off of accuracy of this uh, with your model, you're able to capture the majority of that particular concept and you can then apply training towards that. So that's the idea of what we're accomplishing within even the AI, uh, AI training space. Um, 
and it's a moving it's a moving target but it's something that if you've already established your framework or model to build off of even if uh you know customers or or people across the industry have varying different methods or ways or taxonomies around how they actually uh, identify mm. something. As long as we are solid in terms of what that core principle is that is trainable, um, it sets us up for a lot of success because then I can say, oh, the thing you just learned about here, even though it might be called, like we call it uh, factually inaccurate mm -hmm. as part of like that framework. Um, and this company calls it, you know, false wording or something, we can at least attribute those things, but yet still have the fundamental knowledge related to that. And then we can just kind of course correct as it relates to any particular uh, client, uh, if mm. we need to. And a lot of times we are actually defining a lot of those things and yeah. we're the ones setting the tone from the get-go. So it's not even a need for us to like see our clients come to us with those things because they're actually asking us to define how to better train their models. Um, so we having our own stake in the ground in terms of what that model and framework might be actually provides us um, support to be able to then say confidently to these uh, to these organizations like, hey, we've done this once or twice before. <laughs> we also have a framework mm -hmm. and this is how it's worked in the past. Um, here's how we can apply uh, that skill set and specific to training. We have actually we can verify that these people have been trained against these core competencies. We've, we've, we can verify that these people have this level of quality against these core skills. And as you start to, as now you can start to start to see the blend of training being actionable and the power that that brings, where if, again, if you, if I just sent out 150 courses, 150,000 courses to someone, it's nowhere even close. And so I think this is going to be where we start to like differentiate ourselves, even from larger companies as they start um, to grow, is that we're going to create that, um, this, the central hub of um, looking at first principles and setting up frameworks and setting up ideas of how to train prior to do, just saying, hey, this stuff might be relevant to you. And then trying to train through that. It's so interesting. Because everything in the machine learning world is so meta these days. Like it's, it's, and I love it. Just thinking about the fact that you're training it. Well, you're training trainers to train uh, people how to train an LLM model, which then the LLM model goes back and trains other people through the chat interface. Uh, and it's just like, so ridiculous. So what are the, what are the similarities and differences between training an AI model and what are the similarities and differences between training a human, or let me put that better. Uh, uh, what are the similarities and differences between training an LM, uh, ML model and training a human being? So, you know, I think the, the, the final output and the idea, the ideal case of training, uh, large language model is to try to get it as close to human as possible. I mean, um, I think the whole reason we would point something out as being completely wrong or completely misstated or completely hallucinated, it has no, or, or like various different things that are just like, uh, totally tangential, for instance, um, we want to kind of steer that back to something in which a, you would person would say back to you. 
Um, so in, in theory, the whole process of AI training is to essentially mold a large language model to be as close interpretive as, and like, um, and in some cases better than, than a human. Um, and, and as part of that, like, again, you're, dis you're dissecting texts, you're, um, you're looking at similarities and repetition as part of like, what's potentially coming back to you in terms of errors that are, that are showing up or mistakes that the AI or that the model is, is giving, and then trying to like work that out. And, you know, there's a concept of, um, you know, basically having the human in the loop, um, which is literally the process of, of inserting a human in the loop of this uh, neural network of a uh, large language model to basically make it smarter and make it better, make it more human-like. Um, and, you know, there, there's even as you can even go as, as far as like, um, actually bringing it back down to earth, in which case, in, in which case there are times in which, um, AI models actually project as if they are human and their response is as such. And therefore there are trainers that are, are basically reeling that back in, suggesting they've gone too far. like that there, yeah. there is, there are those things as well. So there are bounds, and again, it's not a human. Um, therefore, there there are ways in which we want to um, just look at all the varying different ways uh, of identifying those things. And sometimes it's not even working itself out of that trajectory of thought, but it's labeling it as such so that it can essentially label it and know that it's doing that and learns from that. On the contrary, like with training humans, you know, um, I think the most obvious thing is that we have feelings uh, <laughs> mm. and we're emotional beings and therefore training a human is, is more about, you know, understanding and, and, and training someone's, uh, psyche, someone's, uh, uh, how they show up, their ethos, their, um, their being right. And so like. When you, when you take that approach, you understand that it's not me just telling you what the answer is. It's how to apply it. It's where to go. It's how to think through it, how to take it to another level of, of thinking. Um, and I think that's where I still think that training is more powerful even in today's age right, right now in that space of working with humans, either through an async environment, like um, like, you know, content online, evergreen content, or in like live sessions, you're engaging with something that is responsive, not just from like a mm. tactical actionable component. And again, this is just going to get better and better, I think on the AI side, but you, we can have this kind of dialogue that is very organic and could, could be tangential in which we are like, Hey, you brought up that particular thought as it relates to this piece of training that you did. Let's talk about that. Let's take that three levels deep. Oh, and guess what? That made me think about this thing. Um, oh, let's talk about that and how that connection of thought actually is relevant. We can't do that today with, with AI. It's not thinking tangentially and like, it's not having a mind of its own quite yet as it relates to like, oh, this thing is very, and like offering it up at a good time, that's appropriate. Like, hey, this thing made me think of this thing. And guess what? This is the reason why I'm telling you, because, you know, and that it actually makes sense that you're making an analogy 
that might actually drive home a point. Um, obviously, AI is very much more tactical in that approach. So that that's all kind of meta in terms of like how you would actually train uh, those two different things. But um, I think the bigger thing on the human side of things is, yes, you have to get through the kind of the emotional side of of, of how something is received. Um, but again, going back to the complexity of the person receiving that, you have to address you have to you have to address your or position your training with many different uh, methods, text, images, uh, videos. Um, you know, because people are, are like you know through actual practice, and for the kinesthetic uh, learner, learners, and so like all of these varying different modes of learning are the receiving end of what may have been missed when a text form comes back from an AI, Oops. but yet in a, in a human to human engagement, I can say, Hey, let me show you this video or let's create a video to help train this particular thing. So there's a lot more forms of engagement that you have to account for um, in that particular case, because you're dealing with so many varying levels of, of, of inbound receptivity and, and comfort. Okay, there's tons of things that we could talk about from here. Uh, one thing that came to my mind was that when you're talking about how uh, the bot can't really go tangentially, it's also not sending you random messages. Like a lot of humans will just, you know, <laughs> send a random message at, at 3 a.m., you know, or whatever. Uh, the bot's not doing that ever. And it's not going on tangents. It's not waking you up and saying, hey, you know, like, what about this random thing? I just learned about this thing. I'm so excited about it. Uh, but, I, but I thought we could train, we could train an ADD bot to go really tangential to like basically be like this podcast, but with a, with a, uh, with an ADD, but, um, totally uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's going to happen. These very different, um, you know, things are going to happen because the technology exists and you can train it for however you'd like to. Um, it'll be kind of an elective case in that case, you know, <laughs> if someone wants mm. to like have that kind of a model or someone like, uh, reminding them about certain things throughout the day. Like, yeah, there's all sorts of like levers that can be, be taken, um, to get, to, to be, get, uh, to get us there. But, um, it'll just be interesting. It, cause it, cause that's one of the invisibles, basically secrets in plain sight is that, is that we're, we're able to be a strategic partner because we've done, we've solved so many problems across the field. We're sort of general generalist generalism. We're, we're scaling generalism. Uh, we can go in and, and, and give solutions to problems because a lot of people who are actually building these these LLMs are just like hardcore researchers. Somebody made this great tweet about how one of the companies uh, they started uh, they just you know they the, the researchers are now um, making eye contact uh, contact, but the first five hundred people couldn't make eye contact because they're just so you know they're so intelligent that they're aut autistic Aspergers type of thing. Uh, sure. But uh, um, but so and so but we're we're like problem solvers who can essentially solve whatever problem we're presented with. I mean, not every problem, but we, we can solve a lot of them. Uh, and, and is, is that accurate about invisible? Is that one of invisible secret sauce is that we can essentially like, well, you know, what does the client want? Do you want that? We can figure out how to do that and, and basically innovate on that, on a solution to that problem. Yeah, I think he, I think he hit the, the nail on the head there. Invisible is unique in that we're horizontal. Uh, you know, most most SaaS companies out there. One of the, one of the reasons why, um, you know, 
when it when Invisible was founded, it was hard to get funding from VCs, is because VCs only want to uh, want to uh, fund very narrow, niched, verticalized, you know, applications, um, and and then have it as as systemized as possible uh, through a through preferably a a, a SaaS product mm-hmm. a platform um, a product and. Um, the challenge with that is you are then identified in this very niche application. And of course, those are companies that are being bought, sold, IPOing all the time. Um, and the harder route is the route that we went. Um, when we're like, hey, we can serve, you know, and this is what, the, what you know, normal conventions would say don't do, right? Like, don't say you're everything to everyone. That's a bad business model, right? Um, but the challenge is, is what we, our secret sauce that you're talking about is like, we identified niche within that horizontal layer. Like think about a layered cake. We identified a very, very, um, strong, heavy percentage of that horizontal, uh, flow in which over time, even though it might take longer to see the fruits of, uh, of that, of that labor and um, of what we're putting together we're essentially kind of eating from within until we capture a huge part of the market. And the reason why is because we're touching elements of that market that weren't addressed before in a lean and incentivized um, way. Um, So I think, um, you know, the secret sauce that, um, that Invisible has is being able to tap into and apply our learnings um, just through our our global network of what we call agents or uh, contractors, outsourced co- contractors who are essentially a part of our teams, um, supporting our company in terms of working on our clients' uh, processes. Um, and they have an, a tremendous amount of cross uh, lateral skills and exactly. um, basically a, a toolbox of skills. So imagine basically a, a long list of skills that have maybe categorized in terms of verticals, like in which many of those original, you know, SaaS companies are only niched down to, but yet we have this silver lining across all of them in which we can then provide value across the market um, and then do it in a way that no one's quite able to uh, tap into because they're either too focused on, you know, uh, uh, kind of fully outsourced solutions or fully automated solution. And so for us, not only are we able to bridge in that, like that, that human element or the, just the, the train, like it is in which obviously training, learning and development is most directly aligned with, but then ironically, it's, directly aligned with our client work on the automation side with AI as well from an AI mm-hmm. training standpoint. Those things make up the ability for us to be able to take on work that others could not source at the same margins, at the same uh, output, at the same efficiency, at the same unit, uh, unit price cost. Um, so, so all of those factors play into um, how we, we are differentiated and we can serve a lot more use cases. Um, so last five minutes left. Uh, so you're creating these courses, going back to that training piece, you're creating these courses, uh, you're listening to people as they're, as they're learning these skills, you're identifying these skills. Can you talk more about 
how how you do that, how you kind of place yourself in between the operations uh, and the, I mean, I guess it's, I guess you're focused on really getting into the operations to, to do it. How do you, how do you do that? Like, do you go to meetings? Do you talk with agents? Like, how are you learning what needs to be trained for? Yeah. I mean, every organization is going to be different. It's going to have a different, uh, what they would call skills framework, um, or, you know, an ontology related to your skills in your, in your company. And, you know, we're no different. Um, we have, uh, the need to basically create a framework of skills that, uh, map to, uh, to work. Like that's not a new concept in the market. Um, the thing that has shifted and that is more specific to us is, you know, we're looking at it from a standpoint of, um, how can these skills literally be attributed to, again, activating that knowledge, um, to give the person the power, right? Like it's really coming back to, uh, giving them the tools to really be able to go out and market and be, um, uh, be effective and and build out those those skills. So what we're doing is we're doing it um, kind of uh, some kind of inside out approach of, uh, of we have our team is small, frankly, and and in, in the relative grand scheme of things. And so we have to be smart about that. As part of that is uh, making sure that we have basically a centralized uh, opportunity in which. Um, the decentralized trainers across the organization and people that are localized to their processes have a place in which can come together. We can talk about not only raising that bar of general skill sets and identifying that there are general skill sets embedded into these, you know, clients and processes and the work that they do. Um, so yeah, like just the other day, we, um, we identified, you know, we had members of that group basically identify Hey, this is a great um, uh, general skill that I'd love for your team to take on and actually build more comprehensively as something that could make up that sixty to eighty percent of uh, of foundational skills to do that work, and then I'll continue to focus on that like more niche specific uh, you know client related uh, application to that skill and how I actually deliver that in in the, in the flow of work, and so I think it's that's where it's like kind of the inside out approach of like, we, we want to make sure that like we're, we're centralizing and we're structuring the opportunity to, to be leveraged in collection of uh, what these individual assets are that exist in our organization, but then also be able to um, look at it from a standpoint of, we have to have a stance of like what the kind of top down approach is too. Um, that would be kind of the, what I just shared was more of the bottoms up, like the top down approach. We have to make a stance of like, Hey, this is generally what the skills we want to map against this particular area and these particular processes and these particular use cases. And if we can then better like map that and then augment that with um, new knowledge and new general skills along the way, we start to have this, this machine that allows us mm -hmm. to like be up to date. We have our foundation met and then we're iterative in terms of how we're actually like building onto that, um, that knowledge set. Uh, and then applying it and labeling it and linking it to the right places. So like all of those things are like super critical. And as you can imagine, we are uh, a knowledge workforce. Uh, and I keep on saying, I think we really are the talent marketplace of the 21st century. And like with that comes a lot of responsibility of being able to get right, not only identifying 
people's skills that they come to the table with, but then I de- uh, empowering them to learn skills they don't have to then be fluid in a marketplace that allows them to work in uh, a broad horizontal uh, environment of use cases and uh, supply and demand in terms of like what's coming in and what's going out uh, from a knowledge perspective. So that's our challenge ahead of us. Um, I really think it's a, it's a fun one. Uh, it's a privilege to be a part of it. Um, and like I said, like this will take longer than me just saying, hey, let's just send out a whole bunch of content and see if it sticks. But it will be more effective long term and it will be what we want um, at the end of the day. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people find out more about you and what you're working on? Sure. I mean, always uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn or, um, and yeah, I think that I can engage there and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always open to uh, connect with people and to talk about more applications. Cool. Thanks, Sam. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for tuning into plain sight presented by invisible. If you liked what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button and consider sharing with your network. If you're interested in learning more about how Invisible helps teams cut costs and scale, visit our website at invisible.co. See you next time.